as you probably already know, <clears throat> Billy Graham planned every part of his own funeral. Many think he considered it his last crusade, one final opportunity to proclaim the gospel in its simplicity and point to Jesus. So, of course, he made all the plans. He planned that his funeral would take place in a tent, a canvas cathedral, like the tents where he began his revival ministry that, that rocketed him to, to fame. He didn't need an elaborate church. He planned that he would be buried in a plain pine casket made by prison inmates because Jesus sets prisoners free. Instead of world-famous people that could have spoken at his funeral, he planned to have his own children and Christian friends from around the world speak because the gospel does create a worldwide family. He planned the music, the first song, Until Then, My Heart Will Go On Singing. Until Then, With Joy I'll Carry On. Until the days my eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls me home. Because Billy Graham knew those attending his funeral, they needed to know he was home. His eyes had beheld the city and the Savior. The last song, to God be the glory, great things he has done. His tombstone reads, preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Billy planned everything, the things people heard, the things they saw, to communicate the gospel of Jesus and to give God the glory. Now, if Billy Graham believed that there would be gospel power in this well-thought-out plan, then he would only be imitating the Lord that he loved and served so well. This morning, we return to the baptism of Jesus, the event that God planned before the foundations of the world to inaugurate the public ministry of Jesus as Savior of the world. And so every detail of this event powerfully works together to communicate the good news that Jesus is a friend for sinners. To communicate that message to sinners who need good news and who need a good friend. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is a friend to sinners. I pray. You know what I pray? That at the end of this, that amen will be a little louder than it was just now. That you'll never doubt after we look in the passage this morning that Jesus is a friend for sinners. And I pray as well that having a friend like Jesus will make you a friend to others. So that in mind, I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles if you have one with you. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. But when you have whatever version or medium that is in, if you'll find Matthew chapter 3 and then stand, and we will hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for another opportunity this week to look at this most important moment in your life. Father, I pray that you would be the teacher here, that your spirit would guide us into truth. That we would understand the message that you are sending by doing what you've done. Lord, change us because of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning we're going to look at two acts that assure us that Jesus truly is a friend for sinners. The first act is Jesus' humiliation. And the second act is God's affirmation of it. So Jesus' humiliation and God's affirmation of it. Let's begin with Jesus' humiliation. And I want us to to zoom out from the scene that we've just read so that we see it, but we do not hear it. If we could do that, we would see that Jesus is saying something to John as they stand together on the banks of the Jordan River. Perhaps we would see a puzzled look come across John's face. Then perhaps we would see John lean in a little closer as if to say, did I hear what I think I heard? And then perhaps we would see John take a step backward with a shocked look on his face. Maybe he'd be shaking his head and waving his arm. Then perhaps we would see Jesus speak again with arms extended as if to invite and reassure John. And then we would watch Jesus and John go down into the river together. The reason I want us to zoom out so that we see and don't hear is because I can't begin to imagine what words John would say as he stands with Jesus to baptize him. See, words always accompany baptism. John may have said hundreds and hundreds of times to the crowds who came from all over to hear him preach and be baptized by him. Perhaps he had said, I baptize you now for the cleansing of your sins. I know that when I baptize people, I'm supposed to say something like, baptism is a sign and seal seal of of the remission and the cleansing of sin. It's a sign of regeneration of the taking away of the guilt of sin, of the sanctifying virtue of the Spirit of Christ against the dominion of sin and the corruption of your sinful nature. How are you going to say anything like that to the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps that's why John didn't want to participate in this event in the first place. 
And perhaps this is one reason why Jesus calls John the greatest man born of woman because John was willing to do what he felt he should not ever do and baptize Jesus. I don't know any of these things. They are just ponderings. But I do know that John baptized Jesus. And so I want to zoom out even further, further away. This time I want to zoom out. And now we're in heaven because I want to know what the angels are thinking about this moment. The angels who love to look into these things. The angels who bend and stoop to see what's happening because they have a longing in their heart to know and understand all the things about Jesus. How did this scene make sense to the ones who had lived with Jesus in the glory and the splendor of heaven from eternity? How could he choose to humiliate himself by going down into dirty water like everyone else who needed to have their sins washed away? Maybe the angels looked away or closed their eyes because they could not look at it. Again, I don't know the answers to all these questions. I just wonder about them. And then I want to zoom in. This time really, really close. Because I want to zoom in to the human heart and mind of Jesus. How in his humanity did his pride allow him to be baptized? What thoughts, what feelings did Jesus have to overcome to be able to humble and humiliate himself in this way? Though you and I love the truth symbolized by baptism... The actual act of baptism is a little humiliating. Not so much for Presbyterians. We just sprinkle a little bit. But if you're immersed, you Baptists know what I'm talking about. You got to go in that little room, change your clothes, put on a robe. Then you got to come out and get down this pool of water and stand with somebody who's going to tip you back all the way into the water. You're going to come up and all the product's going to be out of your hair. And your makeup's going to be running a little bit. And not that many people really look good, wet. Especially when everybody else is dry, right? These are shallow reasons why baptism can be a little bit humiliating. But even deeper than that, the very act is that here you are acknowledging in front of people. You've been doing the wrong thing, living the wrong way. Now, now you've made a change in your life. You're going you're gonna to follow Jesus. So it's a very vulnerable time, a very potentially humiliating time. So why would Jesus humiliate himself in this way for something he didn't even need? How could he have other people thinking of him that he needed what he did not need? Don't you like to be the only one? I know I do. I'm the only one who can. Fill in the blank. We love that, right? Or we like to say, I'm the only one around here who never. And you can just fill in your favorite superiority characteristic right there. Why did Jesus do it? Because, hallelujah, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he was willing to humiliate himself because in baptism, 
He would identify with those who, separate, who so desperately need to be clean, to have their sins washed away. That's why he so carefully planned the inauguration of his public ministry to send that message, to identify with unclean people like we are, to demonstrate from the very beginning of his ministry that unclean sinners may come near to him. They may come near to God. And that's a message that sinners desperately need to hear. Do you agree? When Moses first saw the burning bush and God called him Moses, the first words that that God spoke to Moses after he called him were these, Do not come near. Take off your sandals. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Before the Lord descends on Mount Sinai to give those Ten Commandments that we read this morning. He tells Moses to prepare the people. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care. Not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Why? Because sinners are unclean. So they must wash to be ready for the Lord. And even though they wash, they could not go to or touch the edge of the mountain where the Lord will be because God is holy and they are unclean. Listen, the word unclean appears 128 times in the book of Leviticus, at least in the ESV translation. Unclean, 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 unclean. Unclean, 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 unclean. Unclean, 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 unclean. You get the point. 128 times. Leviticus 14, 15, 16, and 17 addresses specific things and situations that make a person unclean and unable to come into the presence of God or to be around His people. And in those chapters, we read the word bathe 20 times and the word wash 18 times. If you want to be clean... If you want to come into the presence of God, you must bathe, you must wash. And so now here is Jesus, God in flesh, being baptized. Setting an example and identifying with unclean people on the level of their very greatest need. It's as if Jesus is saying, I am a savior for unclean people. This is what you need to know as I begin my ministry so that unclean people will not be afraid to come near to me. Jesus' baptism communicates to the woman who had heard reports about Jesus, possibly even that he had been baptized. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and therefore, because of the law of Leviticus, is perpetually unclean. Always cut off from the presence of God. 
This woman who has made every person she has touched for the last 12 years unclean. Imagine how seldom she had been touched. The woman who for 12 years had made everyone unclean who even sat on the same couch upon which she had sat. Imagine how few visitors she had received in the last 12 years. To this woman, Jesus' baptism says, I identify with your uncleanness. You can come and touch the hem of my robe and be healed. And so the woman defies the ban on touching. And she goes and she touches the hem of Jesus' robe and she is made well. She's healed. She's cleansed of her uncleanness. Jesus' baptism says to the leper, who because of the law of Leviticus has been cut off from the people of God and the presence of God, you can come near. And so the leper did. And he came and he knelt before Jesus, the one who had been baptized. And he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And then what did Jesus do? Craziness. He stretched out his hand and he touched. Jesus touched the leper and said, I will be clean and immediately This leprosy was cleansed. I could mention the other woman, the prostitute, in every way unclean, who dared to touch the feet of Jesus, to let her tears fall on his feet and to wipe those tears with her hair and to kiss the feet of Jesus. But I don't have time to tell you about her. Or I could talk about the others whose illnesses, made them unclean, and therefore they could have no dealings with or touches from those observant Jews who followed the law, people whose lameness made them unclean, people who were unable to worship, who were made clean by this one who himself was baptized. But I don't have time to tell you about them either. The point is this. Jesus, who had no need for baptism or the cleansing of it, was baptized for the sake of those who so desperately need to be clean. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Hallelujah. What a Savior. How could Jesus be any more Emmanuel, God with us, than allowing himself to be baptized? This is why the author of Hebrews can write in chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, stated positively, for we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who allows himself to be baptized by a sinner. That's how much Jesus wants to identify with us so that we can know that we can come to him, so that we can be with him, so that we can be united with Christ. You can only be united with one who is with you. You can't be united with one who stands off and away and apart from you. So we read in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
These are solidarity verses. United with Christ. That's us. In baptism. In resurrection. He is one with us. And he is for us. He does what he does not have to do. So that we may have what we could not have. Apart from him doing what he did not have to do. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Colossians chapter 2, 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. The one who is baptized cleanses us from our sins. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. This is the first act that assures us that in Jesus we have a friend. Jesus' humiliation. So now to Jesus' humiliation, we add God's affirmation. See, it's vitally important that everyone ever after this moment of Jesus' baptism understands the message that God is sending by this plan and all the details of it. That Jesus should be baptized as the very first act of his public ministry. So lest we miss the message, God affirms the act. Look with me in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. What a moment is this? Look, the heavens open up for this moment. Affirmation, you think? God miraculously removes the barriers. He pulls aside the veil that separates earth from heaven. So that earth sees heaven and heaven as always sees earth and there's communication between the two unhindered for this moment. That's how important this moment is and how carefully planned is the message of it. Verse 16 continues. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Affirmation, you think? Don't miss it. The same Spirit of God that was hovering over the face of the waters when the earth was without form and void and when darkness was over the face of the deep just before God inaugurated creation by saying, let there be light, that same Spirit now rests on Jesus as He inaugurates His work of recreation, of new creation. And so the Spirit of God affirms the work that Jesus inaugurates in this moment. The Spirit is with Jesus. The Spirit will empower the human Jesus to do all He's been called to do. The Spirit will enable Jesus to go to the cross to endure the suffering and the shame of it. And by the same work of that same Spirit, cleansed sinners can say, I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And joined with Jesus, the Savior, the Spirit, will become the sanctifier of all who come to Him in faith. So here we see it. Savior 
and sanctifying spirit together. Because here's the good news. Jesus doesn't just cleanse us and then leave us on our own. His spirit, the spirit that descended and rested upon him in his baptism, is always with us, strengthening us to face whatever it is we must face for Christ, empowering us to do whatever it is we must do for Christ, enabling us each day to die more and more to sin that we find so tempting and so alluring in our lives and live more and more a life like Christ's. The Spirit of God with us, Jesus. What a friend for sinners. Look in verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God speaks in this moment. Affirmation, you think? We read of no voice from heaven before this, except at the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Who's happy just to hear that word? Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, and you said, We have heard this voice out of the midst of the fire. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? See, not being able to keep the law, the law we read this morning, tell me, raise your hand, how are you doing with that? (laughs) How are you doing with that? Not being able to keep the law has always been the very thing that has disqualified us from being in the presence of the Lord. We can't do it. We can't keep it. It's always the thing that's carried the death sentence for us. We cannot perfectly obey the law. And so it has qualified us for hell. And so the voice that spoke the law inspired fear. In the people. But the voice that speaks again at the baptism affirms that the one being baptized is the one who will perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf. Is that good news? Don't miss it. The voice of God speaking at the giving of the law, the voice of God speaking at the giving of the gospel. But now, We hear the voice of God without fear because it's a voice of love. Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Here he is. Greek scholars tell us that the words we have here translated, I am, I am well pleased, is an excellent example of the timeless aorist. That just give you goosebumps? Woo! Timeless aorist. Here's what that means. That the Father has eternally loved and eternally been pleased with His Son. But here Jesus has the special love of the Father. As He willingly takes up the office of Messiah and mediator, 
between God and sinful human beings. And all that's happened to Jesus in being born in a stable and laid in a hay trough. And now being baptized. And all that he's yet to endure, culminating in the cross. All of that will not diminish the love that the Father has for his Son. And so God assures the crowd in this humiliating moment that Jesus has the love of his Father. And if this is a moment, and if this is an act of identification with us, which it most certainly is, then don't miss the connection. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. God predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We are blessed now that we are able to, invited to, privileged to call the one and only true and living God, Father. Abba, Father. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Don't miss how important God's affirmation is here. It comes with the power of the Trinity. Did you notice? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all present in this moment. Affirmation? You think? We've seen them before. When they spoke as one, let us make man in our image. And so they are here now at the inauguration of the ministry that will recreate, restore, and renew those created in the image of God. And so God is communicating that He affirms there's unity exists in the Godhead in their intent to save and to cleanse sinful people. There's unity. There's harmony among them. They will recreate. They will make new. So God planned every moment of this baptism so that he could communicate the message of the gospel. Jesus humiliates himself so that he can identify with us, have solidarity with us, so that we might be united to him. And God affirms that all that Jesus is doing is right and good. And so I hope you're getting the message this morning. You getting it? Some of you may not have Jesus as a friend right now. You've never known him as a friend, but you can. And I hope, if nothing else, that you've heard this morning, you have heard that Jesus will be your friend. And I hope you've heard that your uncleanness, your sinfulness, whatever that is to you, it's not a concern to him because he can wash it away. You just confess, I am sinful. And believe by faith, and he'll wash it away. And he'll be a friend to you like no other friend you've ever had. Make him your friend. 
Some of you have Jesus as a friend already, and that's good. But you don't spend too much time with him. You aren't happy with the way you are living your life right now. And you probably figure that Jesus isn't very happy with the way you're living your life right now either. So you know what you're doing? You're avoiding. You're avoiding him. Don't. Don't avoid your friend. Remember his baptism. He did it so you won't be afraid to come to him unclean though you may be. The one who is baptized will continue to wash you and wash me and cleanse us. We just keep coming near. Will you do that? Will you? You're afraid to say yes because then people think you're a sinner beside you. They already know it. They already know it. Keep coming near. And then I think of those that we know who need a friend. And perhaps that's your person of peace. And that person may feel unclean. That person may feel shunned. For whatever reason, you know people who have placed themselves outside the encompassing love of Jesus. Can't be for them. And those people can be rich, they can be poor, they can be of any color. What they need is for you and for me to come near them, not to judge them. They'll never have a friend like Jesus. So I wonder if you and I will be friend enough to them to tell them about Jesus. And I wonder what it is that you and I are doing to communicate about this one who is baptized. I wonder how humble we are before other people. I wonder what we're doing to identify with them and their lives. Identify with their pains and struggles and insecurities and uncertainties. How are you seeking to be one with them instead of standing at a distance from them in judgment? lest you touch them and become unclean as well. No, come near to them. Share with them the good news of the one who knows them, the one who is baptized to identify with them in all their struggles. If he intended to reject them, he would have never been baptized for them. Tell them that Jesus is a friend for sinners and then say, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word that records this beautiful moment in history that preserves for us this hard-to-believe moment in history. Lord Jesus, when you have humiliated yourself by submitting to baptism. The only person who has ever or will ever live that has no need for it, you did it to identify with us so that we might know that we can be united with you, so that we might know that we might come near you. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you. It's a message so important that you affirmed it. The presence of Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't miss this moment. It's too important, the message of it. Father, I pray that if there are those here this morning who don't know you as a friend, your Spirit can convince them that they need you as a friend. Your Spirit can draw them to you as a friend. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be working in those hearts right now in this moment. Lord, what a beautiful thing if everyone in this room walked out of this place having you as their friend. Hallelujah, how wonderful that would be. Lord, those who name you as friend, help us to stick close to you. Not to leave you, to remember who you are in this moment. To come before you always for cleansing, for renewing, restoring. Thank you that you do that for us. Father, now in these next few moments as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord. We'll reflect on this moment. And where we stand in relation to you as a friend. So again, Spirit, we ask while there's quietness in the room and while the children are coming in and while we prepare to worship around your table, that your Spirit would be doing your good work in each of us.